there, and Happy New Year! Thank you for joining us for this episode of 13. We want to ring in 2023 by thanking the folks who make this show possible, so we'd like to welcome our new patrons. Cynthia, Chelsea Schillis, Samantha Burke, Courtney Kay, KC, Mischievous Pixie, Anthony Ralphs, Brian Kennedy, T.P. Crane, Nick Cease, and J.R. the Hiker Bear. Thank you so much for supporting the show. To hear your name right here, join us on Patreon, where there's a whole lot more 13. All of our tiers, $5 and above, get access to a patron-only Discord server, where you can chat with us and other fans of the show. Some tiers have exclusive patron-only merch. There's a patron RSS feed that has ad-free episodes, bloopers, behind-the-scenes content, and a second monthly story. Find out more at patreon.com slash 13 pod. We'll put a link in the show notes. For our patrons who have been waiting for the December 2nd story, we'll be releasing two later in January. Thank you so much for your patience, and we're sorry for the delay. Even though the holidays are over, as promised last month, we have one more holiday story to share with you. We received this submission after the Tangled in the Roots series was already in production, and we didn't want to sit on such a fun, spooky story for a whole year. We love getting submissions from our listeners because, well, you all know the show. If you've been on the fence about sending something in, give it a shot. We're really nice. I promise. This month's story is A Snowman's Chance in Hell, written by Seth Borgen. If you'd like to submit a story for the show, check out 13podcast.com to see our submission guidelines. We'll have a link in the show notes. Okay, get comfy. Turn down the lights. Are you ready? On with the show. Chapel House Mall is one of those things that everyone's heard of, but doesn't know they've heard of it. It's famous for three things, and chances are you've heard of at least one of them, if not all three, without ever knowing the name of the place. So that's where I'll start. First off, it's famous for being closed. Today, that's not much of a distinction, seeing as how we're basically living in a post-mall society. Just about every town that had a brick-and-mortar mall once upon a time now has a decaying one-roof ghost town. A broken-down strip of dirt and scrub brush surrounded by a shattered parking lot or an Amazon shipping hub. As new as it is soulless. One cathedral of capitalism sprouting up out of the remains of another. Whichever one it is, Folks of a certain age can't help seeing what isn't there anymore. Thinking, that's where I first got my ears pierced. Or, that's where I bought my first and only pair of Jinko jeans. Today, the internet is filled with images of countless malls. Something Acres Mall or such and such Galleria. Their gleaming apexes juxtaposed with their fallen shadow selves. On the left, bright and shining promise. On the right, tangible evidence that haunted houses are real, complete with rot and shadows and cobwebs and, yes, ghosts. 
But before all of that, once upon another time, there was Chapel House Mall. Decades before shifting economics rang the slow death knell everywhere else, no other mall fell so hard, so quickly, and left a more pristine cadaver. Chapel House Mall was the first dead mall, and that distinction is more literal than you might think. Which brings us to the second reason why you might not know why you've already heard of the place. On the afternoon of Christmas Eve, 1988, 24 children, ranging in age from four to seven years old, disappeared from the mall without a trace. One moment, they were right there. Their parents looked away, and when they looked back, they were gone. It was national news, of course. But none of that exposure or the exhaustive investigation that followed ever led to the recovery of a single child, alive or otherwise. But it did, and perhaps rightly so, make the mall's survival utterly impossible. Within six months, Chapel House Mall closed its doors forever. Rumor has it, and there are pictures on the internet that back this up, some of the stores got out of there so quickly that they just left the merchandise right there on the shelves. All these years later, the only link investigators were able to establish between all of the Chapel House children, other than their one moment gone the next, was what brought them to Chapel House Mall on that particular Christmas Eve in the first place. Which neatly brings me to the mall's third claim to fame. Every single child that disappeared that day was there to see Drifter the Snowman. Drifter the Snowman was something of a local legend where I'm from. At Chapel House Mall, you didn't tell Santa Claus what you wanted for Christmas. You told Drifter the Snowman, a 30-foot-tall animatronic snowman with a scarf, a top hat, and glowing red eyes. The word animatronic is generous. The orb of his torso and the orb of his head would sometimes move left to right as he spoke. The word spoke is generous as well in a booming, mechanically garbled voice, something like a speaking spell on steroids, emanating from who knew where. Drifter would cycle through a series of predetermined statements. Hi, I'm Drifter the Snowman. What's your name? Pause. That's a nice name. Say, would you like to come with me to Snowman Land? A magical place where everything sparkles. Pause. Then, no matter how you answered, he would follow up with... I'd like that. Do you know what you'd like for Christmas? Again, regardless of your answer... Just remember what your old pal Drifter always says. Good little girls and good little boys 
always get what's inside their hearts. Why a 30-foot mechanized snowman instead of a jolly man in a red suit? Maybe to be more inclusive? But that seems overly optimistic. Maybe because the mall didn't want to pay a cadre of otherwise unemployed bearded men to interact with children two months out of the year. Maybe it was just the 80s. Whatever the reason, every year, there was Drifter. And every year, he became just a little bit more endearing. No other mall had anything like a Drifter the Snowman. As unsettling an entity as he was, he was our unsettling entity. At least that's what the adults told themselves. For kids, Drifter was just another necessary evil. No one wanted to see Drifter. Waiting in line, no one was excited for their turn to come forward, step up onto the candy cane platform, and go through the spiel. But we did it. We did it every year, without question. Each time our insides some combination of confusion, curiosity, and terror. Because if Chapel House Mall was your family's mall, that's how presents happened. Just like vegetables lead to dessert and school years lead to summer. As a child, the idea that Santa Claus associated with giant robot snowmen with red eyes seemed as plausible as just about anything else. Not all of the children who talked to Drifter that day in 1988 disappeared. Hundreds more didn't. I was there that day. I took my turn on the candy cane platform. I'm still here, and I've definitely asked myself why once or twice. I was five years old that Christmas Eve, and I remember the mall being more crowded than I'd ever seen it. The line to see Drifter snaked from one end of the mall to the other. My parents planted me in that line, told me to be good, and disappeared into that crowd. Not great parenting, but again, this was the 80s. I had no way of knowing this then, but they were off to buy me all of the toys I was sure I wouldn't get unless I confessed them to Drifter's candy cane altar. Just like I had no way of knowing, 24 of the kids I was standing in line with right then were about to vanish without a trace. For most of the afternoon, what I was feeling was a mild boredom dotted with the occasional butterfly. All perfectly normal for a visit with Drifter. And after several hours of moving forward one, two inches at a time, I was finally inside Drifter's Winter Kingdom, which consisted of a one-dimensional plywood castle painted light blue and white, sheets of unspooled cotton on the ground for snow, 20 or so brightly colored novelty Christmas presents about the size of mini fridges, and looming above this hollow wonderland, the snowman of the hour. Though Drifter had been an annual fixture in my life to that point, as fewer and fewer kids separated me from him, something turned over inside of me. It was as if I was seeing the full effect of his strangeness for the first time. My blood froze inside my coat, 
I didn't want to move forward, but it was to the point where the line was making my choices for me. I didn't want to step up onto the candy cane platform, but there was nowhere else to go. Hi, I'm Drifter the Snowman. What's your name? I tried to mumble, Sam, but it came out more like a cricket dying. That's a nice name. Say, would you like to come with me to Snowman Land? A magical place where everything sparkles. I did not. I didn't even want toys at that point. All I wanted was for this to be over. So I didn't say anything. Knowing that no matter what I said or did, Drifter would lock himself into the next spoke of his program at any moment. Except, he didn't. For what seemed like an impossible amount of time, Drifter just stood there, motionless, looking at me with his red eyes, as if waiting for me to respond to what even then I knew wasn't a real question. He wanted to take me somewhere. Did I want to go with him? Yes or no? But I didn't answer. I ran instead, out of the Winter Kingdom, up the escalator, past the B. Dalton, the radio shack, the watch kiosk, and far behind me, Drifter had once again found his voice. Just remember what your old pal Drifter always says. Good little girls and good little boys always get what's inside their hearts. I cried for a while. That's what was in my heart. But when you're five years old, it's both amazing and terrifying how quickly the world at its most chaotic can play itself out and back into something familiar. When my parents found me by the fountain less than an hour later, their arms loaded with bags, as far as they were concerned, all was right with the world. The best investigators can figure. The Chapel House children disappeared somewhere around 3.47 p.m. The best I can figure, my parents and I were loading up our car in the parking lot right about then. So deep we were inside our holiday bubble. Word of the disappearances didn't reach us for three full days. Jesus, my father said. So that's what all those sirens were about? My mother and father sat down together on the couch as if blown over by a gentle breeze. I was sitting on the floor, staring at shapes in the carpet, which I'd been doing for, oh, a while. Perhaps it wasn't until then that they began considering how strangely I'd been acting since Christmas Eve. Little interest in my presence, little interest in my food, how soundly I'd been sleeping. Had I laughed? Had I smiled? Sam, sweetie, said my mother. Are you all right? I wasn't, but it's hard to explain even now. I'm going to try. 
but I couldn't even begin to then. Instead, I looked up, nodded blankly, No, I didn't disappear that day, but something inside me did. From the moment the Chapel House children disappeared from the face of the earth, my insides turned into foggy, disjointed radio static. I was still me, just a brothy, watered-down version of me. The things I used to love, like, or hate, None of it mattered anymore. Jokes weren't funny. Food tasted like cardboard. People were noise. I couldn't concentrate on any one thing for more than a few seconds. I wanted to be asleep all of the time. And when I was, my dreams were empty spaces. It was as if some great invisible hand swept through Chapel House Mall that Christmas Eve day, scooping up its victims, body and soul. Twenty-four bodies, twenty-five souls. My parents called it shock. She'll grow out of it and they got pretty good at pretending I had. 20 years later, they were still pretending. As for me, I was still carrying the weight of that blankness inside me everywhere I went. I was an astonishingly average student. I never forged any close relationships. I never fought or nurtured a desire to see the world. After three failed attempts at college, I embarked on an unspectacular career in retail. I bounced from job to job, furniture for a while, then electronics, then groceries. But rarely was I anywhere for more than six months. Why only six months? Because I wasn't very good at whatever I was doing. And that's about how long it took for employers to realize I wasn't going to improve. Which was fine, because when you're gray middle, there's always more gray. No matter where I was working, Christmas was always the same and always the worst. Before the Halloween stock was off the shelves, that first Christmas song drifting through the overhead speakers would fill me with dread. Well, maybe not dread. I wasn't capable of that. Starting with that first song, what the entire Christmas season did every year was make me even more aware of the blankness than usual. I didn't love Christmas, but I couldn't get out from underneath the fact that I used to. In the winter of 2008, I was 25 years old, four months into stocking shelves at Target. My uniform stretched over long, lank, awkward bones. Dark rings under eyes that just wanted to be closed. I was lining dish soap on a shelf like the dish soap was drunk 
That day, the music was particularly oppressive. The crowd was everywhere. Sometimes I was able to switch over to full muscle memory mode, doing my job for hours at a time without the burden of being present. Those were the best days, or the best parts of the normal days. But not that day. That day, I was frustratingly locked inside of my body. A large man wearing cargo shorts and flip-flops, even though it was a bleak 27 degrees outside, bumped into me, knocking two containers of Iowa pine hand soap out of my hands. They skittered across the floor. One song, something about Santa Claus driving a car, gave way to another. I'll be home for Christmas. You can plan on me. Kneeling down to pick up the bottles, I closed my eyes and tried once more to zone out, to just leave my body behind to deal with the tangle of waking life. The song went on, Please Have Snow and Mistletoe. When I opened my eyes, the bottles of Iowa pine were gone. Something was wrong with the speakers. The music was suddenly tinny and far away like it was echoing through an air duct from somewhere else. I stood up. The man in cargo shorts and flip-flops was gone. The entire aisle was empty now. The next aisle over was empty as well. The dull roar of a shopping crowd was gone, removed from the room like a popped balloon. A little girl appeared at the end of the aisle. She looked washed out, like she was standing inside a column of light. But no, it wasn't that. She wasn't drenched in light. She was sculpted from it, like winter light glowing through wax paper. A spectral form wearing boots, a coat, and a hat. The same boots, coat, and hat I once wore. She motioned with a mittened hand, silently beckoning me to follow. She began walking. I followed. She led me to what should have been the seasonal section at the back of the store. But instead of artificial trees, ornamental bins, reams of wrapping paper, and dancing motion sensor Santa Clauses, we were standing inside Drifter's Winter Kingdom. It was all there. The painted plywood castle, the white cotton carpet, the candy cane platform, the mini fridge-sized display presence. Everything but Drifter himself. The spectral girl extended her arm and pointed a mitten at one of the presents. I undid a green ribbon and popped off the top. It was empty except for a single child's boot, a blue moon boot with rainbow chevrons, the left boot, if that matters. When I first saw it and its mate in the window display at Pollywog's Shoes as a child, I thought they were the coolest things I'd ever seen. I was wearing them that Christmas Eve and then for another winter before finally outgrowing them. 
I hadn't thought about them in years. I picked it up. The foot inside made it heavier than I expected. The top of the boot was red pulp with a pink, jagged bone stump jutting from the center. By then, the girl was pointing to another box. I undid a yellow ribbon. Inside was a tiny mitten filled with a tiny hand. The colorless version of that same mitten dropped to the girl's side. There were so many presents, and no reason to open any more. But I could tell there was one that really, really wanted me to open it. A silver box with a red ribbon and bow. Inside that present was a human heart about the size of an apple. I lifted the heart and cradled it in my hands. The tinny music cut out overhead. Silence, followed by the familiar atonal warbling from so long ago. Just remember what your old pal Drifter always says. Good little girls and good little boys always get what's inside their hearts. The heart broke down into hourglass sand and slipped through my fingers. Before my eyes, the spectral girl, the one-dimensional kingdom, and the grisly presence all lost their forms. From solid things to waterfalls of dust crashing downward and bursting on the ground into rippling drifts of nothing. What was left was what should have been there all along. Plastic Fraser furs, blinking lights, dancing Santas, clear, obtrusive music, and jabbering crowd noise crashed in on me. And I was just standing there, my hands still folded together, cradling nothing. Several families were looking at me like I should feel embarrassed. But they were wrong. What I should have been feeling was dread. What I was actually feeling. If what you know to be true on a molecular level can be described as a feeling, was it was time for me to return home. I never went back to Chapel House Mall after that Christmas Eve in 1988. Not in the few months it remained open. Not in the two decades it sat empty on the outskirts of town. Silent. Waiting. Standing on that tundra of broken asphalt and ice. Staring at the moldering hunk of cement and glass. I had the distinct impression that Chapel House Mall was staring back. It was two decades to the day, I realized, making my way towards the building. For the first time in 20 years, I knew it was Christmas Eve without having to be told by a manager. The doors were covered over by sheets of plywood. I pried one of the lower panels up like a dog door and crawled inside. 
Even then, there were entire websites dedicated to capturing Chapel House Mall's long decomposition. On the other side, the mall should have been a ruin of rot and decay and neglect. The walls should have been hieroglyphics of graffiti. The ceiling should have been a before poster in a dentist's office. A crooked mess of brown stains and dark voids. But that's not the world I found myself in. For one thing, a building that hadn't seen electricity since Ronald Reagan's presidency was lit up like Times Square. Wreaths and fat red ribbons and tendrils of garland drenched the walls. Christmas music emanated from functioning speakers in a pristine white ceiling. The floor was a glossy sheet of faux marble. The air smelled faintly of caramel corn. Every store, some of which didn't exist anywhere anymore, was wide open and ready for business. Stocked with merchandise that was both brand new and hopelessly out of time. All that was missing was people. I made my way in, passing storefront after storefront, every single one just waiting for customers and employees to come along. Wigs and Things was filled with wigs, Something called Ye Old Glassworks was filled with decorative swords and crystal unicorns. One store sold nothing but player pianos. Thirty or so player pianos, all playing slightly out of sync renditions of Camptown Races, which, for what it's worth, made more sense in a ghost mall than it ever did in an actual mall. Hollywog Shoes was filled with tiny pairs of tennis shoes. And yes, winter boots with rainbow chevrons. At Baskin Robbins, all 36 flavors were present and accounted for. But no people. No people anywhere. No teenagers. No mothers pushing strollers. No old men in windbreakers taking their morning constitutionals. No middle-aged men glumly holding their wife's purse. No one. The fountain was working again, filling the air with an exhilarating rush. Slightly chlorinated water erupted out of the top of a series of angular metal columns and cascaded down and into a red tile basin roughly the dimensions of a tennis court. At each corner, trees that should have been dead stretched leafy green branches towards skylights that should have been shattered holes. I reached into the basin of the fountain and scooped up a handful of pennies. Not one had a date later than 1988. Then, I heard it. I felt his voice on my bones like tuning forks. Of course, I wasn't really alone. I dropped the pennies back into the fountain, walking past the watch kiosk, 
past the Radio Shack, past the B. Dalton. Up ahead was what used to be the mall's beating heart, the one spot where the upper level and the lower level intersected, making a wide open space. A canyon of storefronts with a glass ceiling to a wide open sky. A room so big, echoes could live forever. Eventually, I came to the railing overlooking the lower level. If Drifter the Snowman and his magical kingdom were where they used to be every December, then they were directly beneath me. Just remember what your old pal Drifter always says. Good little girls and good little boys always get what's inside their hearts. Who was he talking to? I could hear him, feel him, but not see him. I crept along the railing for a better look. Obscured first by the angle, then the elevator. The view finally opened up. I crouched down by the escalators. There he was. Right where he was supposed to be. Drifter, the Winter Kingdom, the Presence, all as solid, tangible, and as real-seeming as, well, as any of this was. A cluster of spectral children stood in front of the Winter Kingdom like joyless carolers, all decked in their colorless winter outfits. Without counting, I knew there were 25 of them, the 24 Chapel House children, plus one. One of the spectral children, a boy wearing a winter hat with a poof ball on top, a hell of a way to spend an eternity, reluctantly left the group and stepped up onto Drifter's candy cane altar. Hi, I'm Drifter the Snowman. What's your name? The boy made a whimpering sound. That's a nice name. Say, would you like to come with me to Snowman Land? A magical place where everything sparkles. Another whimper. All vowels in anguish. I'd like that. Do you know what you'd like for Christmas? The boy cried out. I want to go home. Just remember what your old pal Drifter always says. Good little girls and good little boys always get what's inside their hearts. The boy got down and rejoined the other children. Hi, I'm Drifter the Snowman. What's your name? He said this looming over an empty candy cane platform. Hi, I'm Drifter the Snowman. What's your name? The children remained motionless, their arms clutched to their bodies, their heads down. With a listless whirring sound, Drifter's head rotated, and rotated a little more, and then a little more, until his glowing red eyes were directly on me. Hi. I'm Drifter the Snowman. 
What's your name? I don't know why I was hiding. I stood up. Something inside the orb of Drifter's head strained. The shell of his painted-on smile cracked and flaked away. Underneath, two fleshy flaps pulled apart like a gooey, half-healed wound. Sam. The new mouth said my name, and then he repeated it again and again. Sam. 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 Drifter's mechanical warble was gone. The words were now coming from someplace putrid and wet. Why don't you come down here so I can get a better look at you? Oh, you've had a rough go of it out there, haven't you? Yeah, it's burned into your face. And now you're back. That just feels right, doesn't it? It didn't feel that way at all. But Drifter went on. You know, after all this time, and coming all this way, all that's left is an escalator ride down. A quick step up onto the candy cane platform to finish what you started. Come on. Do you really have anywhere else to go? I looked at him for a long while. You know, it won't hurt if that's what you're worried about. I've already eaten the most delicious part of you. The fire that burns you forward. Your imagination. Your potential and dreams and you didn't feel a thing. What's left? And what's next? Well, that's just a matter of bookkeeping, really. One blank spot on the ledger. We, all of us, can't go to Snowman Land unless we have the book squared. The motor of Drifter's head rotated the glare of his red eyes from me to the children, then back up to me. Then, with a movement of his head that could not have been achieved with a tiny, buzzing motor, he indicated the world outside Chapel House Mall. You know, nothing sparkles out there. Don't you want to go to Snowman Land? I looked at the spectral children. The spectral me somewhere in there. Twenty-five bodiless, ageless, deathless pain receptors. Twenty-five hemorrhages of misery-soaked terror. Stretched into a line with a Christmas that never came on one end, and forever on the other. Compared to that, what was my twenty years of nothing? Drifter spoke up again. I don't make the rules. I just follow them. Long, bony hands, followed by long, bony arms, sprouted from his torso orb. He flailed his new fists wildly to emphasize his nonsense. Twenty-five seats on the gingerbread bus. Twenty-five stepping stones across the Marshmallow River. Twenty-five red X's on the calendar. 
Rows of shark teeth grew out of his gum pulps as he ranted. Twenty-five years in this tomb, waiting for someone who's already dead to hurry up and die. If there's no snowman land, then what's all this for? Maybe you've given up on a world where everything sparkles, but some of us still believe in something, you bad, bad little girl. The pressure around me changed, the air itself letting out a breath. Something moved in my peripherals. I looked behind me, and there was Drifter. The spectral children stood alone and unguarded in the Winter Kingdom. Just remember what your old pal Drifter always says. He was sliding towards me, his bottom orb a cross between a slug and a giant ice cube. He was coming at me from the right. I took off to the left. Two, three steps in, Drifter appeared in front of me, blocking my escape. I turned again, and just like before, he was there, closer this time. His long arms stretched wide and patient. I stepped back until my heels felt the pull of the escalator's downward current leading nowhere but directly into Drifter's Winter Kingdom. What had I come here for? To avenge the Chapel House children? To kill Drifter? To die? Torn apart by those bony hands and tossed in chunks into that wide open mouth? Why not? After the 20 years that brought me here, it was all about the same. It just needed to end. I closed my eyes. The air turned cold in Drifter's shadow, his red eyes glowing through my eyelids. Something jerked me backwards. Out of the corner of my eye, a five-year-old spectral version of myself had me by the shoulders. She lifted me off my feet and pulled me onto the metal divider separating the up and down escalators. As I began my backward slide to the lower level, Drifter's arm slashed through empty air. His strange momentum carried him too far forward, and he let out a guttural scream as he toppled. I hit the floor hard, not quite in one piece. I was pretty sure my arm was broken and one of my molars was gone, my mouth filling with blood. As for Drifter, he clattered down the escalator, crashing and howling, eventually coming to a stop at the escalator's base. He lay there limp and broken, a giant shattered china doll. He was mostly cracks now, and a shimmering, sparkling, Iridescent goo oozed from the broken parts. The Chapel House children stepped down from the Winter Kingdom and solemnly approached what was left of Drifter. One by one, the spectral children took the shattered pieces into their hands. Drifter was too feeble to resist.
some of the pieces still twitching with a profane imitation of being alive. They carried them to the oversized presence. One piece per present, they placed the jagged shards inside and reclosed the lids, retying the ribbon. The crying boy from earlier carried most of Drifter's head. When the boy closed the lid, the protests faded into nothing. The present itself faded into nothing. Then all of the children and all of the presents and any trace of Drifter the Snowman. Gone. Except for one. It was down to me and the five-year-old spectral version of myself. She waved. I waved. Hello and goodbye. And when she was gone too, Old Chapel House Mall went with her. It was like watching the sun burn away a morning fog. Open stores faded into plywood walls. The smell of caramel corn faded into wet plaster. One second, the escalators were rolling. The next, they would never roll again. Warm air became cold. Light became a hollow dark. The ceiling withered into brown swirls of rot and water damage. Snow fell into the room through the vanished skylight. Long ago collapsed from the weight of some other winter. The last thing to go was the music. For a few seconds after the speakers went dead, it echoed through the room. Christmas Eve will find me, where the love light gleams. I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 13. If you like what you heard, stop what you're doing and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This was A Snowman's Chance in Hell, written by Seth Borgen. Narrated by me, Brooke Jeanette. Music editing and sound design by Caleb Ritchie. Assistance on this month's story from Bridget Howard and Ian Epperson. Our producer-level patrons are Rick Linville, Tattooed Fox, Rhiannon, Sean Geary, Anthony Diaz, Michael Vasquez, Paul Doyle, Amy Harper, Delta Tango, Jackie Kay, Taylor Crabb, Chantel Payne, Nick, Emily Douglas, and Chelsea Schillis. Thank you so much for your support. There are a ton of options to support the show over on Patreon, from the all-access producer-level tier to the $1 ad-free main episode tier. There's something for everyone. And all patrons $5 and above get a second monthly story. 
Check out the link in our show notes to learn more. Check us out on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok under Pod13. And you can join the Facebook group for 13 Podcast if you want to discuss the show. Just look for the logo. There are links to all of our social media in the show notes. If you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show, or if you'd like to contact us about anything else, get in touch at info at 13podcast.com. Bridget Howard wants you to come with her to Snowman Land. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month.